I, I think it'd be good just to kind of put ourselves back a couple thousand years ago and just insert ourselves into the, the, the narrative of what we call Palm Sunday. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 21. And uh, I, I don't have a, a very deep message. And I, I, I'll tell you that right now. I'm not, gonna, I'm not necessarily going to teach anything new. I'm not going to wow you with my great theological understanding. But there is a question that is asked, uh, that was asked on Palm Sunday that reverberates today. And I think that it would be good for us to visit that question and make sure we understand the answer. The book of Matthew chapter 21, let's start in verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You may have the King James or something else, and that's okay. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet. Let me interject, that prophet that we're talking about is Zechariah. You'll find almost these exact words in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And here's what that prophecy said. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put upon them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them, uh, them, spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, here's the question, who is this? Who is this? They responded by saying, the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And I want to preach to you on this Palm Sunday 2018, who is this? Why don't you ask the Lord to, to speak through his word in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you. And I pray once again, as we break open the word of God, your word, your holy word, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate it and let it speak to the lives, the hearts, the minds of each one of us here. Let us rightly divide the word, we pray, so that we might glean from it. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. You can be seated. Palm Sunday. Any of you, my, I know my, my wife's family, especially my, my wife's grandmother, uh, is is a, a a very much involved in her church, the Catholic Church. And if you go, I think she still has it. It was last time I was there. If you go to her house, right there on her wall, are are some dried palm fronds that she has kept from some Palm Sunday uh, type things. And so she has uh, been there. And and in it, the uh, the, the the Bible records the the. Parts of Palm Sunday records it in other Gospels. You can read in Luke chapter 19, and I don't have it all, but Luke chapter 19 reads very much the same thing. Uh, some of the things that are different, it says that 
They, they said, blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in, heavy and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And uh, you, you, you have these stories. But would you allow me to, to take you on a journey, uh, perhaps to insert my own imagination in parts of it, maybe to, to uh, impress into this story the, the personalities that may have been involved. Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. Now, I, I did a, stu a study, and I, I, I will be honest, I didn't take the whole of the Gospels. I just was using Matthew's Gospel. And as far as I can tell, and I think it will play out, as far as I can tell, Jesus had never walked to Jerusalem before. He had spent his time in, in Galilee, he had spent his time in those smaller cities round about, but all of a sudden he begins to turn his eyes and he begins to turn his, his mind towards Jerusalem, and there's a lot of reasons why. Number one, Jerusalem was the, was the focal point of the Jewish religion. Uh, anyone who was anybody who had anything to do with, with uh, uh, Jewish uh, it's coming, it's, it's, it's there, it's, it's here, it just hasn't come there. All of the, uh, the sacrificial systems, all of the feasts, all of the different things. What, what's the word I'm missing? The culture, that would be a good one too. Uh, they, they, they would come to Jerusalem, it was, the, it was the focal point. And you know, if you want to get your message out, you probably want to take it to one of the largest cities. Uh, if you were going to, you know, if you wanted to get your, your, your message out, probably, you know, some small town newspaper that reaches about 500 people is not going to do it near as well as the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And so Jesus understood that there were some things that had to happen in Jerusalem in order for the gospel to be preached to the whole world. But Jesus gathers himself, and as they begin to walk to Jerusalem, he sends two of his disciples to take, uh, uh, to go in there. And, and, and just to walk in, randomly you're going to find a donkey, you're going to find a, a colt, and, and just untie him. And if anybody stops you and asks why you're stealing the donkey, just tell him, well, my master has need of it. And again, I think it's just one more example of the Lord preparing long before you have need of something. Just like the Bible says the Lord prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. Just like the Lord has time and time again known exactly what we needed. This is one more time. And when they walked in that village, guess what? There just happened to be a donkey and a colt tied there. I'm sure those disciples wondered about this. To be honest, again, I've not seen it. Uh, I don't see any other place in Scripture where, where Jesus ever rode an animal, unless you count maybe Mary, his mother, riding the donkey into Bethlehem when Jesus was yet in the womb. But I don't find any other place that Jesus rode an animal. This could have been the first time that he had ever done that, and so surely the disciples were wondering why this. He gets that. They, they come into the city, and he rides there in that city, and again, it's a prophecy that some 500 years before had proclaimed when Zechariah had wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See that your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal 
of a donkey. I've, I've been taught and, and seen in, in, in history that uh, when a king would come in a time of war, those conquerors, they would come in chariots, they would come on prancing stallions, they would make a great uh, entrance into Jerusalem. But yet there seemed to be a custom that in times of peace, the kings would come and ride a colt that would symbolize that peace prevailed. And so it was a symbolic gesture that Jesus took when he sat himself on that colt and he walked in there. It was a peace proclaiming king. Remember, this is the beginning of that eight-day Passover that was happening in Jerusalem when those Jews would gather and remember when Jesus had delivered them out of Egyptian slavery from all over the world. The Jews would come and they would gather to celebrate that city would have been filled to overflowing just like the city was filled to overflowing during the Feast of Pentecost that would happen a few months later. Jesus was not the only one that gathered in Jerusalem. You'd have to understand that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he was already there. I can assure you that Pontius Pilate would have occupied that fortress they called the Antonio Fortress and maybe even the Praetorium. He would have brought himself an entire elite battle-ready squadron of soldiers. He would have come. Herod and Tentivus. He's the tetriarch or the king of Galilee and Perea. You know, the one that beheaded uh, uh, John the Baptist, he would have arrived with great pomp and circumstance. Most likely, he was already in the palace of his father, Herod the Great. You just have to think there had been quite a few ceremonies and, 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 if you will, parades during this time. Power and pageantry. And here comes Jesus Proclaiming the prophecy. You have to wonder what the response might would have been. Because Jesus was not proclaiming a kingdom that was going to be set up on this earth. Instead he had said before, mine is a spiritual kingdom. But the thing is for the three years that he had been teaching. Even though he had said mine is a spiritual kingdom. They had not quite learned the lesson. I'm sure there was laughter. Most would have known Jesus to be the carpenter's son. Most would have kind of thought this is a pretty big stretch, a pretty ridiculous picture, a carpenter declaring himself to be king. Maybe some would have thought he's a lunatic, again, that he would ever declare himself king. Others would have greeted him with anger, with blasphemy. How dare he set himself up? Oh, there were others, though, that would hail him with joy. And there were those, perhaps it was uh, Judas. I'm convinced that the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was not because Judas did not like Jesus or he wanted Jesus dead. But see, there were those that desired Jesus to come and be the king that they had sought for. The one that would one day raise an army that would destroy the reign of Rome reestablish the throne of David. They were ready and eager to crown that king. And so Judas was there thinking, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Among the crowd would have been those that he had healed, those whose blinded eyes had been opened, those who had partaken of the bread and the fish that he had multiplied and fed thousands. 
There were those, perhaps even, that he had raised from the dead. Those that he had delivered from sickness and disease. Those in which had listened as he spoke with authority. Their lives had been changed. They were there. As he spread through and walked through that city gate. You can imagine as people begin to talk, much like uh, when, when blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming, there, there must be this, this kind of trickle of, of communication that would go forth. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Somehow news spread without cell phones and Twitter and texts and Facebook. It would spread that even before Jesus would walk in a city, they would know he was on their way. I, I'm pretty confident things like this took place. Have you heard the news? Lazarus died. He was buried in a tomb so long that he started to stink. But then this man named Jesus, this teacher from Nazareth came. And, and as he came, he just stood in front of that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus shuffled out, wrapped in those grave clothes. And Jesus said, strip him away, you know, take him off. And I watched as Lazarus breathed and walked and lived again. In fact, I think Lazarus is coming along with this man called Jesus. Until finally, as Jesus walks through the gates of this temple, or of the gates of that city towards the temple, it's there that people begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. They climbed up trees and stripped them bare of the palm branches. They waved them, they laid them before the, 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 the animals that were coming. They took their cloaks off and laid them there. And Jesus sits on that colt and he looks out on the crowd. He sees faces of love. Maybe Zacchaeus was there. You know that tax collector that had cheated everybody? The one that had climbed up in that sycamore tree because he was too short to see over the crowd and he just wanted a better glimpse of the one they called Jesus? And then Jesus stops under his tree and he says, Hey Lazarus, why don't you come down? I want to go to your house. He goes to his house and he tells Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, you need to repay everyone you stole from. And evidently what God told Lazarus resonated because he did exactly that and he followed Jesus. He was there perhaps. Maybe maybe the, those that he had cleansed, the lepers maybe, they were there. The ones that had had been so outcast and so ostracized because of that skin disease but now they're cleansed and maybe they're there I wonder if Jairus' daughter the one that God had raised from the dead I wonder if she was in the crowd Martha and Mary maybe even Mary Magdalene and Lazarus I'm pretty confident they were there all of them beamed with their love and their adoration toward him but there are other faces in the crowd there were other faces with squinted eyes and knitted brows. Those Pharisees and Sadducees that were waiting for Jesus to say one wrong thing so that they could swoop in and, and, and try to, you know, find thing that they could get rid of this rabbi. They had watched Jesus gain the popularity. They felt threatened and so they were so jealous. They were so incensed. Jesus had come to them and Jesus had, had called them out on things. He had called them hypocrites and they were in the crowd. Oh, I'm sure if you would have looked carefully, maybe not even so carefully, you would have found those Roman soldiers watching, fearing that 
maybe this would be a sign of rebellion. They were there, their hand on a sword, their hand clutching a spear, waiting for the crowd to get out of hand, waiting for them to impose their will. He was there. The apostles walking there. Maybe Peter, impetuous Peter, one hand on his sword just kind of saying, I'll protect you, Jesus. A Judas there thinking, you know, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. An earthly kingdom that Jesus is going to set up and we'll be able to rule with him. And, and, and maybe Thomas was there a bit skeptical of all the things that are going on. And maybe Andrew was there. He was so used to bringing Jesus one by one and now you have another huge crowd. Or what about James and John trying to figure out what side of Jesus' kingly throne they might be able to sit at. They were all there. The loving faces, the sinister faces, the anxious apostles, crowds trampling. And in the middle of that, you have this statement where there were those. See, not everybody would have been able to see this. In fact, if I understand correctly, Jerusalem had 12 gates. And so Jesus only walked through one of them. So there were people who weren't there at that parade. There were people who heard about it later. But they begin to ask this question. Who is this? Never before had they seen something. I mean, they, they had watched, uh, uh, you know, Rome come into it. But I, I can assure you that when Rome came in Jerusalem, nobody was climbing palm trees and taking off the branches and putting them before the soldiers. Even Herod and Pilate probably had not received that kind of a welcome. And so they were curious, who is this? Who is the one that commands the worship of some and the hatred of others? In Matthew 21, the response was this. He is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The, the lack of, of depth, I think, is telling. That's what they said. He's a prophet. We like our prophets. We love our prophets. If you uh, read in Luke chapter 19, they said he's the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, really, to be honest, none of them are wrong. They're not right either. Some said he's a troublemaker. Some said he's a heretic. Some said he's a rioter. And all of this reminds me of Jesus coming uh, to the coast of Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus asked a very simple question. He said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Oh, there was a lot of questions that, or a lot of answers to that question. They said, well, some said you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Some said you're Elijah. Some said you're Jeremiah. Some say you're other prophets. And then Jesus asked this all-telling question. Who do you say that I am? See, the, Jesus is curious. Who do you think he is? Is he just a king? Is he just a prophet? Of course, we know Simon Peter was the only one that answered, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus saw in Peter that Peter was, was kind of figuring it out. He didn't understand it all, because if he'd have understood it all, the way he would have acted at Calvary would have been a lot different. So even Peter's great confession there in Matthew chapter 16 proves that Peter didn't understand exactly who this is. And that was the problem of Palm Sunday. There were those in the crowd that had been touched by his presence but didn't know 
who he was. There were those who had had their deaf ears open. There were those who had come back from life from the dead, but still did not know who he was. There were those that had been in the, in the crosshairs of Jesus' teaching, those who had, had heard him look you in the eye and say, you're wrong. They didn't know who he was. There were those that had had some blessing, if you will. They had gotten a meal, free meal here and there. And they liked that, but they didn't know who he was. They didn't realize that the one that was sitting there was the one that had his eyes on a cross that said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. He didn't come to heal you. That's a good perk. He didn't come just to set you free from your addictions, but I'm glad he does that too. He didn't come just to raise you from the dead if you died early, and I'm thankful he did that. He didn't come so that you could get a free meal here and there, and that's good, and I'm glad he did it. He didn't come just to teach you. He didn't come just to preach, but he came so that you might live an abundant life, that you might have freedom from your sin. That's who he is. I've, I've used this before and, and I, I looked again to try to figure out if I could find who wrote it and, and every, there's a lot of people who've used it and they, they change it a little bit but I have no idea who wrote this but I sure do like it. This is who he is. He's the first and the last. The beginning and the end. The keeper of creation and the creator of all. The architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He was risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world cannot understand him. The armies cannot defeat him. The schools cannot explain him. The leaders cannot ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him and the people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The new age can't explain him and Oprah can't explain him away. He's light, he's love, he's longevity, he's the Lord, he's goodness and kindness and gentleness and God. He's holy and righteous and mighty and powerful and pure. His ways are right, his word eternal, his will unchanging, his mind is on me. He's my savior, my God, my peace, my joy, my comfort, my Lord, and he rules my life. Someone said, I serve him because his bond is love, his burden is light, and his goal for me is life. I follow him because he's the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the rulers of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of overcomers, and he is to come. And if you think that's impressive, try this for size. His goal has always been a relationship with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never mislead me. He'll never forget me. He'll never overlook me. If I fall, he'll lift me up. If I fail, he forgives. If I'm weak, he is strong. If I'm lost, he's my way. If I'm afraid, he's my courage. If I stumble, he steadies me. If I'm hurt, he heals me. If I'm broken, he mends me. If I'm blind, he leads me. If I'm hungry, he feeds me. If I face trials, he's with me. 
If I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. And when I face death, he'll carry me home. That's who it is. Sister Buford said he was God manifest in the flesh. God becoming man so that he could walk and die on the cross for your sin. They didn't get all that. Now you could look and you could say, but pastor, the reason they didn't get it is because you know, the cross hadn't happened. You know, they're in the middle of the story. They don't have the luxury that you and I have that say, you know, he, he, he's already won the battle. And they don't have the luxury of, of Good Friday and seeing the cross. They don't have the luxury of Easter and Resurrection Sunday. And they didn't have the luxury of the day of Pentecost to see it all come to pass. And you're right. But the problem is, even for us, sometimes we ask that same question. We come to church and we're moved by his presence, but we have no idea who this is. We come into his presence and the word that, that is preached grabs our heart and it feels like a vice around it. Yet we walk and we still don't know who this is. And sometimes we've even been blessed by him, but we still don't know who he is. I'm here today to tell you that it's more than just what you feel. It's more than just coming to church and getting a little goosebump feeling. But I'd like to introduce you today to Jesus Christ, the one that is everything you need. I feel a little bit like Paul as he walks there on Mars Hill and he sees all of these different uh, statues and maybe even idols and, and they, 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 they're acknowledging all the different gods that those there in Athens, Greece served. And in the middle there was one uh, 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 kind of statue or at least something that signified and it had this inscription. To the unknown God. Because even in all of their multiple theologies, they realized they were missing something. And Paul walks there on Mars Hill and he uses their own poet's words and he, he's very learned. He knows how to get their attention. And he says, but you know what, i got to stop right here and tell you, this unknown God whom you're trying to serve, let me declare him to you. His name is Jesus. You want to know what Jesus did? He, he said it. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. He said, I've come to set the captive free. I've come to release you from the grip of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. I've come to release you from the sin's uh, grip and Satan's grip. And I've come to give you freedom so that you can lift up your hands and worship me. This was who walked in that place in Jerusalem. His name is Jesus. There's so many things that they missed. They saw the glory of him. They, or at least they, they thought they saw the glory. They saw the worship, but they missed it completely. Even those that, that gathered, and it's a common uh, 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 word picture, you know, those that shouted Hosanna at, at uh, the, the Palm Sunday, they're probably the same ones that cried crucify him less than a week later. Because they didn't know who this was. 
the disciples didn't know who that was. Because when he went to the cross, even though he had spent time telling them, I've got to die, three days later, it's going to happen, they still didn't understand it. Because they didn't know who this really was. But you and I today have the privilege of coming into his presence, seeing the fullness of the gospel, and understanding now through his spirit that we can look upon Jesus Christ not as a prophet, not as a king, not even just as a healer or a deliverer, not even as a teacher, but we can see him as the Messiah, Savior of the world. I want us to stand today. The It's very important how you view him because how you view him dictates your worship. And and today if you just simply view him and uh, there's a there's an old kind of a, a, a Christian he, I don't know if it was comedy or, or if it was illustrated uh, storytelling I, I don't even remember who did it some of you might but there was a of an old VHS tape I had and it was it was kind of like skits that were acted out and one of them acted out all the different ways that people view Jesus some see Jesus as their slave just tell Jesus what you want and poof or a genie and it happens others see Jesus as some archaic old man in some nursing home and it's it's kind of cool and you can go talk to him, but it's not really apt for today. But how you view Jesus will determine your response. And I want to tell you today, he wants to do far more than just give you some goosebumps in a service. He wants to do far more than just let a few tears roll down your face because you like what you feel. He wants to do far more than just heal your body, far more than just deliver you. He wants to save your soul because if he doesn't get the opportunity to save your soul if you don't give him that opportunity then it's as if his death was in vain because as Sister Buford said he died for you I know that's hard to imagine but I, I believe it, it plays out if you were the only one around he would have died for you he didn't die just for a select group he didn't walk to the cross just for those that were worthy. But as the old song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. 